0: All right. If you guys want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19 again, welcome back. Blessed to be here. Blessed for the feedback that I've been getting from the studies. Um, you know, just the things that the Lord's shown you guys and and working in your lives and um, the wisdom, the words of of knowledge He's given you, the encouragement, and you know, it encourages me to you know to keep enduring in the things that I do, as you guys are being encouraged to endure through the things that you guys are going through. You know, we're all in this together. Um, And God is, as you know, Don's saying, there will be a victory. You know, we're going to see a victory because the battle really does belong to the Lord. So I thank you guys for your encouragement as God's allowed me to encourage some of you. So it's a blessing. Um, And I'm blessed to not only receive these things, but again to, you know, go on this with you guys as God continues to declare himself to us, as God continues to reveal himself in his heart to us through his word, um, and he wants to do that, that work in our hearts, right? in all of us. There's all work to do in our hearts. There's all places to grow and, and things to be burned away, as we talked about a few weeks ago in that, that refiner's fire that the Lord wants to do. Um, and he wants to reveal himself to us. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 15, the Bible says this, But God has revealed them. To us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he be known know them because they are spiritually discerned, but he who is spiritually is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, right so we get to know God, he gets to reveal himself through his word, and the world doesn't understand that right it's hard. For me, sometimes I'm sure it's hard for you sometimes to have those spiritual discussions when someone of the world asks you, "What are you going through? You know, what's on your mind? You seem bothered, or these types of things." And they just—it's just difficult because they don't—they won't understand it because it's something that God has revealed to us, right? In the world, these things seem funny, and I'm sure to the people around David, some of these things might might have seemed different. Um, But the things that we're learning are foolish when the world looks at them, right? They're, they're unbelievable. It doesn't really make much sense, right? That God would show us our sinful condition. That's foolishness to the world because the world doesn't think they have a problem, right? The world doesn't think that they're sick. The world thinks that they're good. That God would show us our greedy hearts or our addictive tendencies or our doubting minds, right? That doesn't sound very self-building up, the world would say, right? That's foolish, like, you're a good person, So these things that are spiritual that God shows us and God grows us up in, the world's like, I don't want none of that. They just don't understand. And again, to the world, it's offensive, but to us, it's it's further proof that God is true, right? Um, And not just that it's true, but God wants to change those things and purify those things and restore those things in our lives, right? He wants to take that greedy heart and make it into a heart of a cheerful giver, right? He wants to take that lying, deceptive heart. And he wants it to make a pure heart. He wants to do these miraculous work, works that the world can't even imagine. Right? I had a man this week tell me, like, passive-aggressively at, at work, Oh, Josh is here. You know, he's always so joyful, and he's talking, and he goes, Yeah, you know me, I need to get saved. That's kind of like rubbed the wrong way. It's like, they just, you just don't get it, man. Like, it's, you know, it's not that you need to be saved. It's that you don't even know what you were created for. Like, you don't even know the things you could be experiencing. You don't even know what you're missing out on. You don't even know the relationship that God desires to have with you. It's not that you need to be saved. It's that you need to know the one that loves you. It's much more than you're a bad person who needs to be saved. It's you need to have a relationship with the one that created you for that relationship, right? And the world just doesn't, they see it as he sings, and I don't need to be saved, I don't need help, right? But to us, it, it just makes sense. You need to know God intimately and personally, and right that's what we're going to talk about today. How God makes every attempt to reach us, how He declares who He is in so many different ways, um, and how He left literally no stone unturned, right? And that's the title of my message, Psalm 19, No Stone Left Unturned, and that's what David is going to go over in this psalm. We see the power of God proclaiming Himself in His creation in the heavens, and then, we see the power of this proclamation of His Word that He's given us, this Bible. How He reveals Himself to us through the pages of Scripture. So God shows us and He tells us. He shows us out there, He tells us in here who He is and what He desires to do. And yet, we still miss it. Right? Even with all these things that God's done, sometimes we still, we still miss it. So we're going to let David enlighten us today in Psalm chapter 19. So let's pray, and we will get into it. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you that in your word pertain all things of life and godliness. We thank you that you desire to do a, a work just deep in our hearts, Lord, that you want to expose every corner of darkness in there, everything that has nothing to do with you. Lord, you want to burn it up. You want us to die to ourselves, to pick up our cross daily, Lord, so that through that death, we can bear fruit for you, Lord. But really it comes down to love, Lord, that you just want to love us. And I pray that you would teach us today deeper and just a deeper understanding of what that love is and just the, the lengths that you went through for us to know that. So we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm chapter 19, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament... firmament shows his handiwork, right? So if you doubt God, if you question if God is real, if you're not sure, you know, if something really did, someone really did create everything, um, and if you're not sure if you were carefully and wonderfully put together, created, we can, David says here, you can look up to the heavens, right? The heavens declares his glory. And it's not so much the heavens as like the heavens we think about where God is. David's talking about the sky that we can see during the day, the sky that we can see during the nighttime, right? If we look up at the sky at night, we see the wonders of the stars and the moon and the planets and the constellations and the shooting stars. And if you get a telescope, you can see other planets and their moons and and stars farther away and galaxies if you have a a strong enough telescope and all these wonderful things that God has created that declare his glory and, and who he is. And the beauty of these things, and if you look up at the sky during the day, right, we can look at the beautiful clouds that flow through the air. We can see the rainbows that come after after rainfall. We can see the beautiful, um, you know, artwork of a sunset and a sunrise over the ocean in California. Like so many beautiful things that clearly God has created for us to enjoy. That He wants to use to declare who He is. So much beauty. I mean, even the. The lightning that will flash during a thunderstorm or, I don't know if anybody here has ever seen it, but the aurora borealis that I got to see when I was in college in northern Michigan up in the frozen tundra. Like these green, flashing, beautiful lights that flow through the sky. It's just amazing, right? And Romans 1.20 says, Ever since the creation of the world, His eternal power and divine nature, invisible, though are, are, they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made, so they are without excuse. Right? So we think about that. How would it be possible? Right, if the Big Bang happened the way these scientists say the Big Bang happened, how do they explain all these things? Because I don't remember the last time, as I wrote in one of my devotions, I don't remember the last time that a bomb went off and a church was left standing, that a church was put together or a bomb went off and there was there was order in the in the forest. Right? These these bangs, these explosions, don't cause order, they cause chaos. Right? So if you really think about these things, it's just it's illogical. Right? And David understands the truth as he stands in awe and wonder and he says, All of this declares God's glory. Just look at it. Right? As he reiterates in Psalm one hundred forty eight, one through six. He says, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Right? So his glory is on full display, and he created it simply by speaking it. Right, and it's kind of interesting for us to try to wrap our minds around that concept. But my son seems to understand it better than I do. When I ask him, "How did God make the earth?" he said, "He says, Dad, and he spoke it, and it just makes sense to him. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to me. He spoke it. No, like, yeah, he spoke it. He just said it. But that's how glorious God is. He just spoke these things into existence. Right, and and you can see just how big God is by looking at the enormity of." the universe and its galaxies and its light years and its suns and its all these types of things and having created something that works together so well you can see God's, his mind and having created something so beautiful you can see his heart and having created something for all humanity to see you can see the love that he desires to pour out into your life with just the the care and the precision that he used to create everything and yet he has that same care and precision for our hearts. Right? It's it's a beautiful thing to see. Verses 2 through 4. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them has set a tabernacle for the sun, right? So imagine this. What if God never put anything in the sky for us to see? What if there was no stars or no moon or no sun or any planets or any of these kinds of things for us to look upon, right? It would just be kind of like, oh, that's kind of sad, kind of boring. Like you probably wouldn't really look up at the night sky very much, right? It would would feel kind of empty, Maybe you feel like you're kind of alone when you look up at the sky. Right? But God, again, desires to show himself. And I love how it says, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Because God speaks through his creation, through the heavens, the skies, these things, where I don't care who you are, whatever language you speak, whatever country you're from, you look up at that and you know that there is a God in heaven. You, you just You can't deny it. Right, how many times has anybody here ever gazed at a sunset or looked at the constellations or saw a shooting star or the moon or the full moon and how beautiful that is or, or through a telescope and, and thought, yep, well that's just a big old accident. Like never. No one's ever said that. Right? I, I feel like when I hear from people and when I, before I was a Christian, there was many times I'd look up at this the sky at night and be like, man, I just I know there's something more. There has to be something more than this because you can see it, right? And God, again, speaks without language so everybody can understand. And going back to Romans, that is why we are without excuse. He's shown us through his creation, right? Um, So it doesn't matter where you're from. God calls us unto himself with this universal language to the ends of the earth, as David says here. That's why people are so drawn to places like the mountains, right? Like Big Bear, it's like my favorite place. I could go every, I could live in Big Bear, no problem. Chop wood, work in a little woodcarver state. I could do that all day because it's just beautiful up there. It's just, you can, it's just something different, right? Or people are attracted to tropical beaches or the great outdoors because, because God, because it's beautiful. You can't even explain it. Like we try with our cities and our you know, our statues and our sky, but it doesn't compare to what God has created. It never will. Right? National Geographic released a list of the top vacation spots for 2021. Right? And this is in no order, but um, five of the top ten were Denver, Colorado, England's Coastal Path, British Columbia, um, Katai National Park in Alaska, and then Lord Howe Island in Australia. And I googled these places, and they're some of the most beautiful places on earth. People are drawn to those things. That's why they are among the top requested destinations for vacations in 2021 because people need to get out. They've been cramped up and they need to get out and experience what God has created for them to enjoy. Right? You didn't see Paris, France wasn't on there or any of these types of man-made cities. People want to get out into the world that he has created. Um. Um, Tholuck writes this, Though all preachers on earth should grow silent, and every human mouth cease from publishing the glory of God, the heavens above will never cease to declare and proclaim His majesty and glory. They are forever preaching, for like an unbroken chain, their message is delivered from day to day and from night to night. Beautiful. Like Even if there was no one on earth to preach the word of God, to preach the we're without excuse because the bible says that his creation proclaims his godhead you can't deny who he is when you look at what he's created right it's it's just foolishness <clears throat> verses 5 through 6 says which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race it's rising from one end of heaven and it's circuit to the other end and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And he's talking about the sun, right? And using it just as an amazing example of God's glory and how it's on this track and where it rises day after day, right on God's time. And it rises each day with such joy as it races across the sky, as an athlete races, runs his race, and nothing es- escapes its heat, its illumination, right? It sounds a bit like Jesus, the sun who chases after us, who illuminates us that nobody will escape the illumination of the S-O-N in our lives and what he wants to do. There's no place we can hide, right? He rejoices over us as the bridegroom. He is running the race with us. And again, no words needed because God desires to speak past our understanding if we just look around us. If we just are able to take a minute and just take a breath. Right? That was a, a big verse that the Lord gave me this week as I was sitting was, you know, come away to a deserted place and rest a while. And it's like, Lord, how do I do that? How do I just rest amidst all of my responsibilities? Because you wake up with a list of 10 things to do and you try to get through your day and you don't have enough time. And then by the time you go to bed, you got 10 more things on top of those 10 things. And you're like, man, I got nowhere. I don't have time to rest, right? But the Lord is our rest, right? We need to make him a priority first. He needs to be the number one thing on our list before anything else right that 's where that rest comes from and God creation his creation tells us so much about these things, but again then then it's not just his creation that David's going to talk about he talks about his word because his creation is already enough we, we have no excuse, but then God is so good that he gives us his word to take it that step further because he 's just that amazing and he 's just that loving right it tells us so much more. And it's a blessing. He could have just said, nah, I don't need to give them this, this word. That's enough. The sun, the moon, the skies, the, the trees, the animal, all this. So that's enough. He's like, no, I love them so much that I want to give them more. I want to give them a, a, an in-depth knowledge of what my heart is like. I don't want them to just know that I'm here. I want them to know what I think about them. How much I care about them. How much I chase them. How much I, I desire them. Right? And that's what this word is. This is just amazing as he reaches out through us. And and again, all things pertaining to life and godliness are in here. And that's the awesome part. It's like the roadmap for your lives, right? So we'll take a look at that in verses seven through nine as David starts to speak about God's word now. This next stone that God is going to overturn for us. So we see six ways that David uses to describe God's word in verses seven through nine. Number one, he says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Perfect. It gives us so much more knowledge and it doesn't just give us it doesn't give us all knowledge, but it gives us true knowledge to that which ails us. Right? We don't understand everything, but we understand exactly what we need to know. Right Again, all things that pertain to life and godliness, his word is perfect for what we need. It's flawless and it's tested through time. And because it's perfect, it converts the soul. There is so much power in hearing the word, in reading the word, in speaking the word, in studying the word of God. and it, it's, Again, it's far past just mere intellectual benefits. Right? It's not just about knowing things up here. Right? It changes us. It converts our souls. It, it sanctifies us into his, his, his image. It starts to align our hearts with his heart. This, this word starts to align his desires with our, our, our desires, with his desires. And our heart starts to beat for the things that his heart beats for. And we start to mourn over the things that he mourns over. It starts to break our heart when we sin, like his heart is broken, right? This, this word is alive. And it, and it works in our hearts, and it's perfect. Number two, David says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So sure is, His word is reliable and certain, and you can count on it to do that which it says. You can be sure that it's going to do what it says. It will never let you down. It will never lead you astray. It will never leave you deserted. And it makes wise the simple. Right? So many people... Are really not that, educated in certain areas that the world thinks people should be educated, including from a religious standpoint. You know, did you go to seminary? Where did you study? Did you go to Bible college? Do you have your degree? All these questions I get all the time. Right, but it says here makes he makes the wise, he makes wise the simple. Right, it's not about all of this. It's about this. What are what are you willing to do for God? Right, because. The last time I checked, the people that Jesus hung around with were fishermen and tax collectors and and people like this that weren't exactly the most educated in their time, the most respected in their time, right? They were just, they were your average Joes, as you might say, right? These men were given such wisdom, yet to the world they seemed unimportant, cast to the side. People wouldn't give them a second thought if they passed them on the streets. But Jesus saw them differently, right, because... He desires to use those things for His glory. As 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and He's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Right? So like I said before, if you're feeling foolish, if you're feeling weak, good. Press into that, because that's exactly what God uses. That's exactly the type of person that God uses, the person that is foolish to the world. The person that the world sees as weak, God uses that person. Right? Just like David when he fought Goliath. 16-year-old boy with a slingshot and a stone against a war veteran 10 feet tall. Like, foolish, weak. That makes, that's, the kind of, that's what God is looking for because he can show his strength through that. Number three, says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So they're right, They are morally right. They are practically right. They are universally right. They are right because it's the revelation of God who is holy, true, righteous, and always right. And He is absolutely true all of the time, without exception. That's God. Right? And as we've heard before, if you have a different opinion than God, change your opinion because he's right. That's just the way it works. And I love that because I have all kinds of opinions. I have all kinds of feelings and emotions and things that I think and Well, it doesn't really matter if God says something different. We've got to get on his page. Clark writes this, to make straight, to make smooth, to make right upright, opposed to crookedness in the mind or conduct, showing what the man should be both within and without. That's what God wants to do with you. He wants to take your your crooked life and make it straight, your rough life and and make it smooth. And these things that are misconduct, he wants to make it work for him. That's how he wants to make it right. And then rejoicing in the heart. The one who knows the word of God and the God of the word rejoices in his word. So are we people who are rejoicing in God's word? What are we rejoicing in? They find joy, real pleasure in the truth of God and relationship with him as we sit with his word and allow it to minister to our hearts, right? The word of God will cause you to rejoice because it's just that good. You can't help. But you just have to get into it. Right? You just have to get over yourself, get over your flesh, get over the fact that maybe, you know, you fall asleep sometimes when you're reading and you're praying in the Word. Me, sometimes, right? It happens. But we have to make it a habit. Right? Number four, the commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. Why is it pure? Because God's pure. That's why the Word of God is pure. The only way He knows how to communicate with us because that's just who He is, pure. Not complicated. It will never, again, lead us into sin. It will never lead us down the wrong path. And if the Word of God does end up leading you to sin or down the wrong path, then it's been twisted. Then someone has corrupted it. Then someone has changed it. Then someone has taken it and as the devil does, tries to make it say something it doesn't mean to say. As Second Peter 3.16 says, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of the things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. Right? People are gonna, that don't really understand it are going to twist it and use it for their own self-benefit, for their own self-gain to control people. And you see that all throughout history. right? You see that all throughout religion, people using the word of God wrong, out of context, to control people. But that's not pure. Right? That's how you know, is if it's leads lead you down the wrong path. And it says, <clears throat> it enlightens your eyes. Right? It illuminates the darkness because God is light. And in him there is no darkness. So when you're in the word of God, when you're in God's presence, there's no other byproduct, then darkness being illuminated. you just your eyes are open. You can start to see things more clearly, right? Sin starts to feel dirty. It starts to look unattractive. It starts to taste unappealing. And these are natural things when you're in the presence of God. Right? When I quit drinking, back when I first became a Christian, God, you know, convicted me and I was all man. I started to hang out with those same people. And I was like, man, it's just isn't it's not the same. It just felt dirty. It just felt wrong. Again, not that drinking, right, is a sin being a drunkard is a sin. But like the way I used to drink, the, the way I used to go at it, and my intention was dirty. And it was wrong. And God showed me, like, bro, that that's that heart, that what you want to accomplish with this here is not what I want. And he starts to illuminate your eyes by those things. Number five says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Clean and endure forever. It will never fade. It will never diminish. It will never go sour. It will never erode. It will last forever and it will make you clean. It cleanses us in that process of the washing of the word. As husbands are called to do to your wives, wash your wives in the water of the word. Right, it cleanses us. And David mentions it here as the fear of the Lord <clears throat> because one who is truly connected to the Word of God will cultivate a fear of the Lord that's healthy, right? which is a reverence and appreciation for God's majesty and, and righteousness. That's the fear that we should have. Not fear like, scared, oh no, don't hit me daddy. Like That's not the kind of fear... Right, that I used to have when I was little. It's not the kind of fear you want. It's just a reverence, a respect for just how amazing he is, how powerful he is, how pure he is. And then number six, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. True and righteous. Nothing false or unrighteous in his word because God cannot tell a lie, and he cannot be unrighteous. He will not deny himself. Right? This is just exactly who he is. This is his character. So we need to make a habit of being in God's Word, read it, study it, meditate on it, and experience what David lays out for us here. Because God wants you to experience these things that are His characteristics through His Word. right? So you can go through that list again later and just be like, Lord, this is who you are. Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, this is who you are. right? It's, it's, it's beautiful imagery. And... <clears throat> Just remember, when David speaks about this, about God's Word in such high esteem, he didn't have everything we have. right? He only had Genesis to Deuteronomy. So when he's speaking about God's Word, he didn't have the full finished um, revelation of God's Word. He only had the first five books. He didn't have all of these wonderful things. right? He didn't have the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels. He didn't have the spiritual warfare fighting section in Ephesians that you know, God has given us. He didn't have how the story ends in Revelation. When you feel defeated, I know how the story ends. David didn't have these things. And yet he still held God's word in such high esteem. Right? And it's, we have access to so much more. The full counsel of God. And these are things that we should be rejoicing over because it's such a gift. And I hope you guys all feel the same, and I'm sure you do because you're here trying to study the Lord's word with me, trying to allow God to speak to you, so that's amazing. But it's just so precious and priceless. And we're going to see David elaborate on that, that, that pricelessness, just how much it's worth in, in the next verses, 10 through 11. He says, "...more to be desired than they are than gold. Yes, than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and a honeycomb." Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. So now he talks about, this is God's word, this is God's character, and it's worth so much. It's priceless. It's worth more than gold, right? Some people want gold and diamonds and jewelry and big bank accounts and 401ks and, and IRAs and fine things, and, and those things are good, right? Those are good things God can give you. But his word, ooh, that's, that's a treasure, in and of itself, David says that's more desirable than all of these things put together. And again, this truly speaks of David's heart, as he was referred to as a man after God's own heart, because he was a king. Like David was loaded, like he had a nation, he had a kingdom, he had servants, he had an, an army at his disposal, Fine You know, he had all these conquests and conquering and spoils and loot and. But that's not what David was known for in the scriptures. He wasn't known for his wealth materially. He was known for his heart after God. Right? And we can see that as he speaks about God's word in such high esteem. And I think that's a lesson that we can all learn as Americans. Because, you know, I mean, just be real. Our society is pretty materialistic. It just is what it is. Right? I don't know if you guys have ever done Easter or Christmas with small children, but you're like, dang, that's a lot of stuff. Right? We like our stuff here. Right? How many presents, how many Easter baskets you guys get? Like, it's just, I mean, it's cool. Like, We like to bless our kids, but we like our stuff. right? And this is a lesson we can learn that as David, he wanted no material thing to control his life, to run his life or to command his life more than the Word of God. And that's the thing. It's not bad to have money. It's not bad to have things that God's blessed you with. But when those things have you, that's the problem. When they have control of your heart and they direct you, that's the problem. <clears throat> even those you think about it, even those who live in quote poverty in America, they're far better off than the rest of the world collectively. I saw a stab that if you make minimum wage in America, you're in the top ten percent incomes in the world. Like, let's get our focus, guys, okay? Those that live in poverty in our nation are better off than most of the world, right? We can't allow these things to run our lives. And again, David had that same um, possible pull, but he was known for his heart after God. And that's how we should be known. We should be known as lovers of God and his word because of its priceless worth. Then he says it's sweeter also than honey and honeycomb, right? Not only is it priceless and of great worth, but it's also sweet, it's pleasing to our senses, right? Things that are expensive and worth a lot aren't always pleasing. Just because it costs a lot of money don't mean it looks good. Just because it costs a lot of money don't mean it tastes good or it feels good. Right? You can't correlate those two things. But God's word, yes indeed, you get both. Because that's who God is, right? One of the most expensive things that you'll ever partake in is sin. And it is not worth it. It costs you so much more than you ever could hope to pay. Costs you more every time you do it than you ever wanted to spend. Yet it leaves you empty and unfulfilled and wanting more dry time after time after time. And yet it's expensive, but it's not sweet. It's disgusting. It's bitter. It leaves a foul taste in your mouth. But not God's word. It's the perfect combination of priceless and pleasing. Because so is God. That's who he is. <clears throat> it says, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. Right? God gives, God's word gives us those instructions as a warning. Right? He, goes, he gives us his, his, his word, the Bible, the scriptures, his love letter, as a warning to us, to warn us of things. Not because they're necessarily bad things, but because they're bad for us. They're not what he created us for. They're against his plan for our lives. Right, They don't benefit us. They weren't created for us to partake in. And we desperately need the warnings of God as we go through life. David Guzik writes This warning is needed for sins that we are susceptible to. Warning is needed for dangers we cannot see. Warning is needed for dangers we cannot appreciate. And warning is needed for dangers that are yet to come. God wants to warn you. He wants to prepare you. He wants you to be on guard, to be ready, to be vigilant. Because we know the devil wants to rob, kill, and destroy, and he's ready to pounce on us like a roaring lion. But unfortunately, too often, these warnings are often rejected or ignored by many Christians, by many people. And it's dangerous when you reject the warnings of God, when you ignore the clear warnings of the Lord. Hosea 4, six says this, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I will also reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. When you ignore God's warnings, you reject God's warnings and His Word, it's dangerous. Right? We don't want to find ourselves in that position. And He warns us, um, and if we don't heed his warning, it says here, we will be destroyed. It's going to cost us. It's going to hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable. However, when we do heed them, there, he says there's a great reward for being faithful with those things. Right? And that great reward, let's take a look at one of my favorite sections. Um, Revelation, I think it's verse, or chapter 7, starting in verse 10. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens the door and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not be, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That's a reward. That God's not only going to keep us from the great tribulation and having to go through those things, but that we're going to be with Him in heaven. Experience these things because we are faithful with what God called us to do and what His Word says. As it says here, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. That is the great reward. Right? It's beautiful. It's going to keep you from unnecessary trials and things you go through in life. Right? The faithful church, that's the great reward, being faithful, followers of Christ. It really doesn't get much better than that. Right? You have to be with our with Jesus in heaven. Verses 12 through 13. Excuse me. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. David is pondering the world and the work that God's doing in his life as I'm sure you've thought it, I'm sure you've worked through it, as have I, right? Lord, how do I recognize these things in my life that you're trying to point out? I've been many times, often, like, Lord, I just feel there's something off. There's just a disconnect. I can feel that I'm disconnected from you in a certain way. Lord, can you please show me what these things are? Reveal it, you know, search my heart, as David says. Illuminate these things. How do I know when I'm going against you? Because sometimes you just don't know. You only know what you know. Right, again, it comes back to the Word of God. Does your life line up with the Word of God? That's how you know. Are you asking God to do that cleansing and for those secret places to be brought to illumination in your life? So how do we know when the sins that we are committing are presumptuous? That's right, an interesting word. I was like, oh, that's an interesting word, presumptuous. So presumptuous means failing to observe the limits of what is permitted or appropriate. So you just don't care. Basically. Since that you just don't care, I'm just going to do this because this is what I want to do and this is how I feel and it makes me feel good right now and that's all I want. right? And there's a difference. Um, these are different than not knowing. This is you just... Again, you don't care. You turn a blind eye. And you have no excuse for presumptuous sins because you know better. Some examples of things that make sin presumptuous is when we know better, when friends have warned us, when God himself has warned us, when we have warned others against the same sin. Hey man, you shouldn't do that, and then you go and do it. When we plan out our sin, when we come up with a scenario in our head about our day and how I'm going to do this later and how it's going to look like and how I'm going to get there and I'm going to lie to this person so I can be off at this time and then this person's not around and we plan out our strategy for sin, right? It's a real thing. We relish in our sin. Right? Then again, we know better. Right? Don't lie about dumb things. Don't rob God of His tithes and offerings. Don't treat your spouse like a doormat. Right? Don't do these things. Don't get drunk. Don't look at things that are going to cause you to, to lust. Don't avoid what God has clearly called you to do because you just don't feel like doing it. Right? These are things that you know better. There is a progression, though, through these things um, that we see here. He says, the errors, the secret faults, which leads to presumptuous sins. Right? So they start as errors, mistakes. Then it goes to secret faults. Right, which is, I'm, not just, I'm just not going to tell anybody. I'm going to hide it. So, oop, I messed up. Oop, I messed up again. Now I'm going to hide it. And then you get to the presumptuous sins. I just don't care, whatever. I'm just going to do it. It's out there now, right? That's the progression. So it goes from a passing temptation <clears throat> to chosen thought. It goes from chosen thought to object of meditation. From object of meditation to wish for fulfillment. Wish for fulfillment To planned action. Planned action to opportunity sought. Opportunity sought to performed act. Performed act to repeated action. Repeated action to delight in that action. Delight in the action to new variations. New variations to habit. Habit to idolatry. Demanding to be served. From idolatry to sacrifice. From sacrifice to slavery. That's how you get there. From a whoops to a I just don't care. It's a progression. Again, it's one compromise after another, compromise after another. Right? And I see, again, like some of these pastors that have, quote, fallen, and it's like, how did you get there? I could never, don't ever think that. We are all capable of any sin because it just starts with one cognizant compromise lord i know i shouldn't do this but i'm going to do this anyways and then it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds and any of us are capable of any of any sin that we could commit don't ever think that you're not but again there's a big difference in these things and a difference in stumbling and living a life of sin it's different right you stumble you fall down you get up hey bros hey sisters can you pray for me Lord, I, I repent, I don't want to do this, but, and then living a life of sin. Immersed in the sin that you know better than to do and how we get there, right? At some point, the sanctification process and your maturity through the word of God should show you that you shouldn't be doing these things. As 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven says, when I was a child and spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. At some point, it's time to grow up. It's time to stop. It's time to stop playing with those toys and eating that baby food and telling your daddy no because you're being spoiled. It's time to grow up, son, daughter. Okay? And then fi- verse 14, we'll finish here. It says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Right? And I think, guys, this is, I think this is what we all desire as followers of Christ, as as his children. I think we all desire, verse 14, that the words of our mouth, that the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable to God. I think that's what we want. Right? I think that's what we all want. We just want God to accept us. Right? If you're a child of God and you desire his will for your life, if you desire to be sanctified, to be cleansed, to know him and be known by him, you just want it to be accepted. Some of us strive to the detriment and they put unnecessary burdens upon themselves and, and hoops you have to jump through, taking yokes upon yourself that don't belong to you, carrying burdens that weren't meant for you to carry because you just want to please God so bad and you put it upon yourself. And God's like, I don't need that. But you're like, but, but God. He's like, I don't need that. Just come, spend time. But I, I feel like I need to bring something He's like, I don't need you to bring me. But, I, I, but look what I've done. He's like, I don't need you to do anything. Just be present with me. Stop doing all the time. Come aside and rest with me. Right? We have to know this. That as bad as we want to please God, He is already pleased. Because without, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if we have faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and He rose from the grave... Then we're, then he's pleased. Without faith, it doesn't you can't be pleased, right? There's nothing we can do to we're already accepted. Why are we fighting this round and round and round battle of I'm not good enough? Of, have you read his word? You know what it says about you? Holy nation, royal priesthood, prize possession. You don't know what God says about you as his son, his daughter? So again, if you know the word of God, if you know his heart, if you've seen his creation you know and you understand that what he's done for his children, right? That he created the heavens to show you his glory and teach you to proclaim himself to you. That he gave you his word so you could know his heart better. That he would give you his word to lead you and light your path as you try to navigate this dark world. That he died on the cross and rose again so that you could be set free and come into his presence. That you could be more alive. That you could be set free and free indeed. Experience abundant life. That you could be reborn spiritually and He would give you a heart of flesh that starts to beat after His heart? And if you don't know the Word of God, you don't know these things. And I challenge myself to say, maybe you just don't know the Word that well if you still feel like you need to please God. Because son, daughter, He's already pleased. You are already holy because He is holy. Right? Then, when you come to this realization which isn't overnight. I know some of us are like, man, if I could just, I'm better. I feel better. Yep, I read the verse. I'm good now. Nope, we're moving on. Cool, I had anxiety, but now I'm better. No, that's not how it works. I went to a conference and I'm, yep, mm mm-hmm. Like, that's, it's a process. Right? Don't look for the quick fix. But when we come to this realization, then we'll start to have a change of, of heart and mind. And you'll walk in freedom and the fullness of joy because He's already done it for you. He's already completed the work for you. We just have to open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds and take it in and and just hear what God has clearly proclaimed through His creation and His Word and the fact that He left no stone unturned for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much, Lord, for just everything. For the, Your creation, for the heavens, for the earth, for the oceans, for the animals, Lord, for Your Word, for Your Spirit that dwells inside of us, Lord, all these things that you just continue to pour into our lives, Lord, yet we feel like we need to bring something. Yes, Lord, we should be faithful. And I pray that that's where it would start and end with our faith. And from that faith, Lord, you would just produce fruit as we remain tapped into you, Lord, that we would not burden ourselves, that we would not carry yokes upon ourselves that we can't carry. Because you've called us time and time and time again to give those over to you, Lord. So help us to experience that freedom, being set free and free indeed from the bondage of this world and just what we think we have to do because of what it looks like in other people's lives, Lord. Just to know that you are pleased and that we are loved and that you made the way because of who you are. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.